Talk TV, True Detective Season 3, Episode 5. You know, we left off in Episode 4 with the rednecks, the local rednecks, the parents surrounding Tom Woodard's house. We open Episode 5 up with a 1990s scene where uh, Roland and Wayne are looking at a big board. We have Lucy, who's OD'd. We have pictures of what we think is Julie and they're kind of talking about the case. Tom. Tom busts in. Tom busts in asking about a presser that he's supposed to do. Sees a picture of Lucy. Sees a picture that might be Julie. He's going crazy. Uh, Roland's trying to push him away. Wayne goes up and shows him the picture of Julie and says, Is this her? Is this her? Tom obviously uh, rattled Roland a little upset that he showed him that picture. Uh, but then we go back to the board and and Wayne is sitting there when another officer asks about the Woodard incident. So then we get finally we see what happens in the you know the the patented true detective middle of the season shootout slash crazy episode. Obviously we've had that both in season one and season two. We had a couple in season one in the middle. Uh, but here we have trash man Woodard uh, wiping out everyone. You see what was referenced earlier with Roland catching a bullet, he gets shot, and eventually everyone gets wiped out except Wayne and Roland, and and Roland goes around through the back of the house, walks in on on the trash man, uh, and the two have a talk. That you, Sergeant? Put it down, man. I got you. Just put it down. I had you. Up front. That double tap on the door. I don't miss less I mean to. All right. Let me return the favor. Put it down, and I'll walk you out of here. Might have been within my rights. Before I took out those cops. We'll get your help, man. Got all kind of veteran affairs shit can work in your favor. I don't want it to work in my favor. You gonna put this on me, huh? Nobody made you take the job. I'll put one in your knee. Then I'll kill you. I'm gonna count to three in my head. And when I hit three, I'm gonna give you a full burst. I'm counting, Sarge. Couple of important things there in that interaction. First, maybe to me, you know, maybe the most important thing is the trash man telling. Wayne, hey, I could have shot you. I shot the door on purpose. I don't miss. If I don't wanted you dead, I, you you know, I would have killed you. But I know basically that uh, you weren't one of the bad ones is essentially what we're supposed to draw from that. Like, And also that the trash man wanted to die. He was prepared to die. This was your common suicide by police force. And Wayne didn't want to have to do it, but obviously he wasn't going to risk death over trying to apprehend him safely and and you know the trash man made it clear he was not going to jail or to be try to help with veteran affairs like no he he knew that you know what his fate was going to be when this happened he was just there to take out as many of them as possible and a little heavy-handed on the comments but Wayne is upset that now he is going to have to kind of carry another bad memory around with him, right? Like another another uh, 
event that would give someone PTSD another bad memory. You know, obviously with the Vietnam time, and now here he's having to kill someone else who he knows is a good man, but he does it. And then we're flashed back to 1990 with with Tom Purcell giving a press conference, talking, making a plea for Julie, like, hey, I'm sorry I haven't – I'm sorry for the wasted years. Basically, I'm sorry. I want you to be safe. Please contact me. After the press conference, we realize we are told that this whole time the man who had uh, had this pegged on him that was wrongfully accused – was Tom, uh, was was Brent Woodard, the trash man. And obviously you see here in this shootout after he's dead, there's really no one there that would argue in his favor. He doesn't have kids around. He's already a social outcast, which, you know, it, it kind of ties into what we had talked about earlier in this series with the, with the West Memphis Three, right, and how the society and the culture – uh, was basically the community was tired of the case. They wanted some type of closure. You thought maybe it was going to go down the route, route with the teenagers getting wrongfully accused, but no, here we see that now we have a dead outcast, the weird trash collector, strangely talks to uh, you know strangely talks to the kids. He's no longer there to defend himself, so here you have a clear, hey, let's say that he... Uh, is the is the is the kidnapper slash murderer, and we'll have some type of closure. We'll have some type of closure, but now his kids are back, and they want his they want him cleared. And there's a big dispute among you know the police and Roland and West and the politics of behind it of reopening a case that hurt so many people and scared the community, and quite frankly, that they didn't investigate correctly and they didn't push forward on like this would just be a bad look for everyone involved a bad look for everyone involved but here they are back in 1990 trying to follow new leads and that takes them to to freddie freddie the teenager who you know in last episode had been threatened with rape in prison and you see that freddie is living a bad life as far as he's concerned. I mean, he's married, he's got a kid, he's he's working. So, I mean, I guess it could be worse, especially with the way they thought he was headed. But Freddie is uh, clearly shook as these two come and they start questioning him again. I don't know. You want to slap me around some? Make sure. He'll give you any indication who they might be. You can't be very good at your job. Coming back ten years later, try hanging this on me. Nobody's hanging anything on you. Maybe Killer here wants to see. Can he make me piss my pants? That don't seem like a very tall order. Pass me off the walls, you black motherfucker. If you think there's something you can do to me, you might want to take another look at my life. Hold on now. Mr. Burns, I understand your hard feelings, but we just needed you to remember. And not for nothing. Things might be what they are, because you're the type of like bullying somebody weaker than you. <laughs> And you don't? I was a teenager, me. What's your excuse? I want to thank you for your help, Mr. Burns. Maybe you let me know you remember anything else. Mrs. Burns? Maybe you let me know you remember anything else. Mrs. Burns? 
Don't you want to call me a shithill twerp again? Tell me how I'm going to get ass raped. In this interaction, like my takeaway is we, we see a kid who who has been traumatized, right? You know, the shithill twerp. Are you going to call me a shithill twerp? Are you going to threaten to have me raped again? Like we come out of this thinking, man, these two officers have really messed this kid up, really traumatized him. And you come out of this, at least I did, not really happy with with Wayne. And as we've seen throughout this entire series, like Wayne is someone who is damaged, you know, with the between both he and he and Roland with the you know the alcohol intake. And if you look at you know what we what we're led to believe happens to Wayne from 1980 to 1990 in terms of not working as a policeman and and turning to the bottle and. Later on, we see that Roland's also turned to the bottle. Like We've seen that these officers don't really cope with this case very well. We see that it's taken a toll on their life in one way or the other, one time period or the other. Yet here you have, 10 years later, someone like, like Wayne who knows the side effects of this case and who has been ruined, had his relationship ruined, has had you know the last decade of his life hijacked by this. For him to have completely no remorse or no type of, you know, comfort in his voice towards Freddie, who's obviously very shook and, like I said, traumatized, didn't go a long way to making me like Wayne. Didn't go a long way to making me like Wayne. And when you combine it with what you see with him and uh, Amelia at the at the double date in the next scene where he's still very cold to his wife and just combative and, and trying to fight with her at all times about this case, like it's just not really... I don't want to say adding up because I know people have trouble with, you know, coping and dealing with things and, and, you know, being consistent in what they ask of people versus what they give to people. But these two scenes, you know, almost back to back really makes you stop. And, it, you know, it, it's just a really, I guess, it puts, puts under a microscope for you. It, it, it highlights just that basically Wayne is fucked up and he's an asshole. And he's impossible to be in a relationship with. And his work, you could see where it's alienated people. And the thing with Amelia, it, to me, this episode was better. It moves some stories ahead. And, you know, the big reveal, or at least what we think is the big reveal at the end of the episode, combined with uh, these two guys sitting down in 2015, they were good scenes. But just this this stuff in the middle with with. Wayne and Amelia, again, guys, we, we realize that this relationship isn't the best, right? We realize this relationship isn't the best. It's no good. It's unhealthy. The kids are involved in it. The kids, you know, kind of bail them out of a fight, and you get a tender moment where they, they realize, you know, that they the kids make them quote their rule, which is we don't, go to, we don't say goodnight without saying I love you first. And all that's fine, and all that's good. But we just were kind of stuck, again, kind of treading water when it comes to this storyline. Although there is some police work, there is some police work going on, and they they find this homeless kid in 1990 who used to run around with, with Julie Purcell. Says that, you know, he, she was a little off, could never get the year right, thought that she was a secret, secret, pink, pink, uh, a secret princess of pink rooms. And had referenced losing her brother, but at least he had, you know, had some type of interaction with her. So they feel like they're learning a little bit more about her, including a fake name that she uses. I believe it was Mary July. And we so we're making some progress on the case. In 2015, we're seeing that the director 
of the true crime documentary is talking about the cop who investigated the scene. Uh, the, the crime scene goes missing in, in 1990. We see that. And then we get a you know another timeline jump, and in 2015 we, we get a really good, I guess, a really good indication of a couple things. And, you know, in 2015, as... Royal, as Wayne is still working this case, he finds his wife's book and he eventually reads it and then something slaps him kind of right in the face. There surely exists a mutable area of soul where grief is indistinguishable from madness. Standing above the box of her children's things, she wept and clutched her chest. This wasn't a happy home. Children should laugh, you know. And there wasn't much laughter around here. First of all, come on, Wayne. I get that the case was tough and that the relationship wasn't in the best place, but man, how did you not read your wife's book? You could have maybe made some really, you know, you maybe could have made a breakthrough. That's a little inconsistent. Like, I don't know how to feel about this because you have someone who is so enthralled with this case who is consumed by it yet you didn't talk to your wife about everything you didn't read her book you wanted to you wanted to get every bit of information possible about the missing Purcell kids but you didn't compare notes with someone under your under your roof and like I said I I get it I get it that it's tough and like I said the relationship wasn't good but man like that's a real uh, misstep. This is a real misstep. Like, for a show called True Detective, especially one that's gone back to the roots of season one, Marty and Russ, pretty good detectives. So far, like, I'm not sure, Like, especially in this episode, how good Wayne and, and Roland are. I don't know. It feels like something that... uh. Maybe it's the maybe it's the detective's curse. Maybe it's a a callback to it, which was, of course, from season one that that the information's right in front of you, and you're looking everywhere else. You forget to kind of check the most obvious place. Maybe maybe that's what it is. But he finds that piece of info from his wife's book. He finds that piece of info from his wife's book, and. Back in 1990, he's trying to put more pieces of this case together. And, you know, he comes across some missing evidence. You know, something's been tampered with. Something's been moved. And then he gets to looking at the crime scene and and what really got the trash man nailed down, which was the convenience of, of Will Purcell's backpack and one of Julie's shirts being in the furnace, being half burnt. And, you know, to me, again, kind of going back to what I was just talking about, and maybe they acknowledge this in their conversation later where they talk about how no one was really contesting this case and everyone wanted it done. But, man, like this red backpack that Will Purcell had that was at the trash man's house that was supposedly under the porch, that house was completely gutted. It was completely blown up, like, the backpack was allegedly right under the front door of where the of where the explosion happened. Did no one stop and say, hey, wait a second, that looks like it's in a little bit too good of shape. To me, that seems like common sense. But no, not here. 
But anyways, he takes it to Roland and, and shows and says, hey, we got to kind of start looking at this. This isn't good. And then they get into a big argument about the politics that obviously comes with, with the police work. So that's a common theme with this show, this episode, really any police show in general is like, you know, what can you actually investigate? What can you report without making higher ups mad, without stepping on toes and and crossing any lines that you shouldn't cross? But uh, then we get, you know, kind of we start bouncing and we finally see uh, 2015 Roland and it's not good. It's not good. Roland is sharing life advice with his dog, right? He's talking about, you know, basically advice that I guess we're led to think that he would pass to his son if he had a son, which is always learn to cook and show that off for a woman. That way they don't think that you're using them for their cooking. Like that's something, right, that you would be told by a father figure in your life. You would be told by a father figure in your life. So we get that look of 2015 Roland as as Wayne and his son pull up and you know he talks to the son we realize that the son doesn't really or the, the the son tells him that his dad doesn't really remember anything about why they're not talking much about their relationship. So basically it's going to be on Roland to get over their animosity and, and deal with it. But then we go back to an important scene, which was, you know, the climax of the episode, or at least the jumping off of what I think's going to, you know, happen over the next three episodes as they try to wrap this story up. And that was the police hotline, the tip that comes in of a woman claiming to be Julie Purcell and uh, Wayne and Roland bring in Tom Purcell and lets him hear it. And it's creepy. State police hotline. Hello. You're looking for me. I saw him on the television. What's your name, ma'am? I saw him on the television. Leave me alone. Make him leave me alone. Ma'am, is this about Julie Purcell? Do you have information about Julie Purcell? No, that's not my real name. What is your name, ma'am? Tell him to leave me alone. I. I know what he did. Who? The man on TV acting like my father. Can you tell me where you're calling from? Where's my brother, Will? I don't know what he did with him. What? Who did with him, ma'am? We left him resting. What's he saying? Can you tell me where you are? We can take care of you, ma'am. No, you won't. You work for them. Tell him to leave me alone. If... You took me and I'm never coming back. Ma'am, can you stay on the line, please? Could you talk to me? Just leave me alone. So this is a real moment where you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on, right? You have a woman claiming to be Julie Purcell saying that she saw Tom Purcell's presser. Uh, she saw him on the TV and him, him making pleas for her, and she's frantically saying, asking, begging for him to leave her alone saying that that's not her dad and that she knows what he did and talks about how they left Will resting, a.k.a. you know dead with his hands crossed when we found him murdered. She's saying it's, you know, the man on TV is not her dad and 
now we're left, you know, obviously the cops don't seem, you know, Wayne and Roland don't seem like they're really happy with Tom. Obviously, like they're they're skeptical, wondering what's happening. We already have the the revelation from the early part that that the mom wrote the the, the ransom note talking about how kids should laugh. So we've had you know some type of idea that it, it could have been one of the parents, if not both of them. But now here we see that maybe it's the dad, or maybe there's a whole thing where she's kidnapped and brainwashed, and the Hoyt family, who you know, you know, uh, Wayne later says he talked to because they were they were in, you know they were onto them and what they had done, and you know was invested in the case. They had a, you know a missing granddaughter. Maybe there's some connection there, some abduction, and and you know maybe. We'll find out. But right now, like Tom Purcell's being, you know, it's being told that Tom is not the father and that he, the man on TV, is who killed the son. And, you know, he's freaking out, confused, looking at his friend Roland, you know, his his boy. And they're not, you know, really giving any type of comfort for him. We then get to, like, you know, what felt like a a 10-minute sequel to The Bucket List. You have 2015 Roland and 2015 Wayne talking, and, you know, they're sitting on the porch together, and the first thing is they start talking about the TV people, the TV crews who keep trying to set up interviews. And Roland isn't happy that Wayne's talking. Says, hey, man, with your condition, you don't need to be talking about this. How are you going to talk to these people? We've done what we've done. You don't know what you might say or might remember. I remember what we done. I remember not to say. Obviously, the important part of this interaction is I remember what we done. What'd you do? What'd you do? That's kind of what we've been trying to figure out with these with this guilt and, you know, Amelia's flashback and, and haunting 2015. Wayne, as she talks about hiding what he did and and not letting anybody find out and that's what I guess we're going to try as long, you know, along with who the killer is, we're going to try to figure out exactly what these detectives did to either help cover it up or to punish whoever did it or what's happened. Wayne then drops it on Roland that the mother, the mother is behind, was behind the letter all those years ago. Other thing I found out a note sent to the parents, letters cut out. Lucy wrote it. Mother. What? How do you know that? Some things I am quoted in the book, things the mother said. I show you they line up. Why would she do that? And I think if you look at the note, what it's saying, I think she was just trying to make Tom feel better. Trying to get him to let go. Cause she already had way before. So what? So what if she did? We already knew she had some connection to a guy whose name you just said. Seems like a little bit too casual of a response to all that was, you know, so what? So what if that happened? But the biggest thing I took away from that exchange was the fact that Roland wouldn't refer to Tom by name. Just said that that name you mentioned. So when you're kind of tying up when you're kind of tying up like what they've done, what they're hiding, 
versus the revelation that this scene immediately followed kind of put two and two together and things aren't looking good for that that fr- friendship that blossomed in the mid-80s through the 90s with, with Roland and Tom Purcell. So there's one potential friend that Roland could have had that he doesn't. You know, he's a, he, they've shown that he's a, a really lonely man. And, and, you know, going from Tom and that guy that you just named into Roland's really good rant, really good monologue. Like, the, Stephen Dorff, the actor who plays Roland West in this, he has done a phenomenal job, in my opinion. Like, it seemed like it was going to be built around Ali and, and Wayne, and that it was going to be a one-man show, but between him and Tom Purcell and Amelia, like I've started caring about these characters a lot more than Wayne, to be honest. Like when it comes to ranking my favorite characters, I would say that my my, my Ali Wayne is near the bottom. I like Amelia better. I like Tom better. I like I like Roland better. But he goes on this rant, you know, kind of highlighting just how how his life has turned out following this case you know from 1980 to 1990 things were good he got the promotion as you saw on the double date he was able to land the girl from the church that he was flirting with an episode prior and then 2015 man it's not going well for him it's not going well for him at all as he kind of lays out just how lonely and miserable he is and how you know his best friend his friendship with with Wayne deteriorated and how he was just kind of left with absolutely nothing. All this time, you never picked up the phone. Never dropped by for a beer. Never said you're fucking sorry once. Roland. And I was going to put that shit aside and have a drink with you. Reminisce. Maybe just watch the dogs play and the sun go fucking down. But look what you're doing. How many of those you go through a week? Hey, fuck you, man. I'm fine. Alone out here. No woman. No kids. And no old friends. So that means I get to drink exactly as much as I want to. You don't judge me, motherfucker. I know you. I know what you did. What I did. Talking about my drinking, I'd whip your ass if it wouldn't kill you. And you still ain't apologized. I know what you did. I know what I did. You still haven't apologized. What's happened? What's happened? So far, like I, I do like the potential for a twist here where, you know, instead of worrying about who did it, who committed the murder, as of right now, it feels like it has to be someone connected to the the home. Most likely Tom Purcell. But instead of that reveal, like I am more interested in the last three episodes figuring out exactly what Roland and Wayne did to cover things up or who they hurt or what they did that they have lived with with so much you know, so much guilt. So much guilt over the last ten, twenty five years. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Let's Talk TV. Subscribe to the podcast, Reads Ranch, leave five-star review. Don't leave four. If you leave four, you're a hater. Don't be a hater. We will get episode six up on Monday. Spread the word. Talk back. Patreon.com slash Reads Ranch if you're really with it. 
Uh, we'll talk soon.